Make mistakes with confidence. Thanks for the advice, Mr. Six. Too often, we let ourselves fall into self-doubt and the fear of failure from really taking that leap of faith. All I have to say is, Guam on, you got this. Yes, we're sitting down with podcaster, aircraft quality inspector, Mr. Six, for some military mental toughness this week. Serving in the military for 15 years in aircraft maintenance, he sure has some useful tools in the shed to tweak them limiting beliefs. Let's talk purpose. Let's talk about leadership. How did he overcome his fears and become an influential leader for his team? Yeah, too much toughness. Though on a lighter note, if you're a Moana fan, then you would love this cultural tour of Guam with Six also. Hey Six, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, doing good. Thank you for having me. No, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, yeah, like I've never ever met a mechanic, uh, aircraft mechanic before. So I've got a lot to learn from you today. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey! It's all about learning. It's all of that's what keeps us young. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was like all the Top Gun guys, you know, the uh, aircraft like pl- uh, plane drivers that have all the fun. But apparently, the guys in the maintenance that have all the fun. <laughs> Yes, uh, and that that's like the typical, the typical um, stigma is oh, okay. The pilots they're flying, they do all these cool moves, they get all these cool gear, but when a lot of people don't understand, like for every hour that they're flying around, that's close to eight to sixteen hours of work for the guys who actually make the plane fly. So exactly, you guys are the masterminds. You got you guys make it all work, you know. So no kudos to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you much, and thank You're you for welcome. everyone out. Thank you for everyone out there too that are making things happen, uh, but behind exactly. the scenes in all industries. Exactly. So yeah, tell me a bit about more about your job and how you got into it. By the so, way, so I I am currently a uh, quality assurance inspector, and that basically means I inspect other people's work to make sure that they did it correct that they did it safely and the end result is the aircraft's going to have a safe and smooth flight Uh, before that i was a maintenance chief and i was pretty much in charge of the entire aircraft maintenance division and that can be anywhere from 50 to 300 people and I, I came into that industry or I came into that industry because of my time in the Marine Corps, in the U.S. Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And I uh, what, what drove me to do it was really just to be challenged and to also leave, uh, leave the island of Guam because that was like one of the only ways to leave was either um, go to college or join the service. And I chose to do both. <laughs> All righty so at the time you were also like uh, when you joined the military where did you move to though so when i when i initially joined the military i moved to california uh, in san diego california uh that's pretty much where i did all my most of my training and most of my work and Mm, okay well that's amazing though so was it like a um an exciting time like was it completely different to what you expected because that was like your first time traveling was it uh, first, uh, first time uh, traveling for an extended period of time. Yes, yeah. uh, I we did. I did uh, travel a little bit, but it wasn't to anywhere far or long. Like at most, maybe two or three days a week at best. So, 
moving to California and having it be permanent that was that was a culture shock in itself yeah what was the most shocking thing for you? <laughs> uh, the, for one, it was the weather. Uh, the, the weather was a big shock because uh, where I'm from in Guam, everything's very humid. Uh, the coldest yeah. the coldest will get there is maybe like 74 degrees, maybe. Oh, yeah. And then going to California, I, I think I went, it was in the fall. And it was in the 50s. And then it was in the fifties while it was raining, so um, <laughs> so it's cold and it's wet. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is what is going oh, yeah. on? And then everyone, I, I, I completely know what you mean as well, because like you know, come from Australia, like I get we get up to like forty nine degrees dry heat, mm-hmm. and um, I've you know moved to Vancouver in the last two years, um, and oh my goodness, the first year was a struggle for me. Like it was summer and it felt like my winter. Um, everywhere I go, I had to have like a jacket, down jacket on, and like my friends were just laughing at me. But um, I think I've finally acclimatized this year. Like summer, I felt it was really hot, but last year I just couldn't deal with it. It was like in the you know twenty seven to twenty nine degrees, and I was still freezing. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. and then they're just walking around in shorts and whatnot. Like, how are you surviving right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what have I done? I want to move here. But oh my God. So yeah, I mean, like weather does take a time, you know, some time to get used to and whatnot. But um, yeah, you were telling me that you're from Guam and I told you that you're probably the second person that I've met from this place. And because like, I don't think I've met any Guam people like in Australia because um, so far away, but um, I don't know much about it. So yeah, enlighten me. Give me a bit of a cultural tour, cultural education and on your heritage. All right. So Guam is a, is a tiny island and I mean tiny. It's mm. maybe 25 miles long. Maybe, maybe 25, I want to say 20, 30 miles long. And it's this little island in the Pacific Ocean. It's about three, a three hour flight from the Philippines and about three and a half to four hour flight from Japan. And that's where majority of visitors come from is from the Philippines and Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guam is, um, since it's a a Pacific Island, it, it, it shares a lot of the history as far as the Pacific Island people, like, they all started at some point in time in Asia, and they they started to experiment in seafaring, and they just started migrating from Asia, going uh, eastward towards South America. And the a good a good um, how do I say a good an, a good illustration of this was the movie, the Disney movie Moana, where oh, yeah. where it talks about where right where it talks about like oh we used to be voyagers and we stopped on this island and then we picked up voyaging again. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Disney embellishment there, but for the most part, that that's pretty true. Like that uh, that history is accurate. Like, right. um, so they started from Asia and then they they started seafaring east. Then they hit a certain point and then they stopped. They stopped seafaring oh, yeah. for about a, about a thousand years. Yeah, that whole Maui mm-hmm. story about a thousand years—that's pretty accurate. And no, yeah. and to this day, no one really knows why. Like, why did they stop? What happened? And so here, here's where Disney comes in. It's like, oh, Maui did it. Okay. <laughs> Maui did it. It was all the rocks' fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to make something up. <laughs> right? yeah. Because we yeah. don't, we don't know. A thousand, how do you, how do you sail and just stop altogether for a thousand years and then pick back up again and know what you're doing? Yeah. Um, 
And so a lot of the like a lot of the canoes and whatnot you see in the Moana um, movie is the same mm. the same type of canoes and seafaring vessels they used in Guam, and some of them originated in Guam. Matter of fact, so that's one of the main uh, histories or con- contributions to the whole seafaring history that Guam has had. And, yep. Um, I'll have to rewatch me Moana again. You know, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely doing. It. I was like, wow, like that. That makes so much sense. Like, wow, somebody yeah. just t- somebody told me about that. It makes sense now. <laughs> This just validates everything, <laughs> right? It's all your yeah, fault, yeah. Maui. <laughs> And then, um, yeah, you were telling me that um, uh, you know Guam has because it's been so influenced by other cultures um, for many years as well. Like the the language, its um, native language is actually dying. Yes, is that right? Yes. So the native language, it, it's it was it's how most Pacific Island languages they they originated mm. from some parts of Asia and then they mixed their own color into it. Uh, yeah. As far as Guam's history is concerned, they well, Guam has been um, colonized at least three times so we had the native language and then here comes the spanish when they're doing their uh, spa- uh sea exploration and of course mm-hmm. then the spanish they want all the people that are colonized by spain to speak spanish so yeah so here we go uh the guam people go from their native language to some deformed version of spanish and then the spanish get get kicked out by the the u.s or the united states americans mm-hmm. they They get colonized and they get taught to speak American. So now they're a cross between Native, Spanish, and American. Then here, then here come the Japanese. They colonize. They kick the Americans out. They colonize yeah. Guam, and then now it's uh, Native, Japanese. Native Guam, Spanish, American, and Japanese, and it just turns into like to this big mixing pot of cultures. So like the actual yeah. Native language, like the original, is mm-hmm. pretty much gone. Because it's just been so colonized and rooted out. Yeah, because of so sad. Yeah, does your grandparents or um, you know, any of your relatives still like know the native language? Mm, to a point, uh, but like the actual pure pure native language, that's that's basically extinct. Like almost no oh. words, almost no words from the native language still exist. And some some do, but it's not it's not a uh, practice that often. So yeah, yeah. But some of like some people like my my uh, my grandparents or of that of that similar age bracket, they still speak some of it. But you can yeah. tell where the Spanish and the Japanese influence came in because some of the words that we say, uh, for instance, numbers is in Spanish. Mm. Right. Okay. So. Well, that's so sad though. But do you know what? Like um. I have a Vietnamese background, and um, when I was younger, like I would hate going to Vietnamese school because um, we had to go Saturday school every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, and at home, my grandpa would always tell my mom and tell us off, like if you go home, you can't speak English. You have to speak Vietnamese, okay? Like you know, he forbid us from speaking English. Right. Um, I used to hate it so much. Because I was like, oh my god, Grandpa! Like, you know, none of my friends or, uh, you know, all the Aussie kids don't have to go to like Saturday school. I'm having more homework now and stuff. Like, I used to hate it so much. Yeah. Um, but in a way, like, I'm so appreciative that um, he forced us to uh, go to like Saturday school and you know communicate a lot more in Vietnamese with our parents at home, so that um we don't forget the language. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I I can see like the you know the benefits of it as well. Like you know traveling to Vietnam, like it was 
a lot easier for me to navigate my way around and kind of like understand uh, when I was ordering food, you know, because um, that's, you know, right. you need to know how to order food. <laughs> right. And so, um, but yeah, like, it, it's just like, I understand, like, you know, the, the importance of, you know, keeping the mother tongue as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's so sad that the native language um, in your, in Guam is kind of extinct now. Hopefully, in a couple of years, or like a community do put something together to, you know, um, kind of, yeah, be resurrect or something. And know? and there are there there's uh, initiatives going on on the island right now where a lot of people are really trying to advocate to bring the culture back because mm. there there there's a problem right now with almost all Pacific islands right now is they're having yep. some loss of their original identity, and mm. a lot of that is the the popularity of of the concept of the island culture right because whenever you say oh i'm from a pacific island the first two things that pop in your mind is tahiti and hawaii Mm, so and then you always think like oh they all wear grass skirts they all dance the hula and they all like to drink stuff out of coconuts which is completely wrong (laughs) but but (laughs) but but, you know but that that's the popular thought you know so yeah yeah so people like to stereotype you know because what what is portrayed in the media you know right yeah. And so, so like, uh, like there's initiatives on the island, and I think a lot of Pacific Island islands are doing this too, where they're really trying to put it out there, like, no, this is what it's really like. This is what the the culture really is. We don't dance like that, or we don't we don't practice things mm. like that, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, very so, interesting. So, I, I yeah. kudos to all them, and I hope you guys uh, really succeed in your endeavors. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, and another interesting um, concept you were telling me that um, there's this uh, the partnership concept. Yes. When it comes to decision making, yes. I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, like enlighten me a bit more about that. So uh, Guam's culture, I feel, is the is unique because the the culture is matrilineal. Uh, by that, it means like it's the woman that passes down the culture. In, in most, like mm-hmm. you were saying with uh, your with Vietnamese cultures, it was given and enforced by your your uh, grandparents. grandparents yeah yeah so in, in in Guam's case in the traditional way it was it was passed on by the by the woman so like the men they have all the tra- all the traditional skills like fishing hunting etc and they teach that but the actual value traditions and culture is passed on by the women and right. and so and, and so, so since women held has such a high role in the culture um we Guam practices what what I consider a pair based uh, decision making, where there's always a pair decision. There's always a husband, wife, mother, father, chief, chiefess, um, etc. And no decision is made unless both of them are agreeants. And then when one when they when one does make a decision, the other one backs the other up. So I I, I don't see that anywhere else. Cause, mm-hmm. like because especially nowadays in western culture everything's all about the pyramid or the the hierarchy you know yeah. it's always that the one person at the very top making all the calls and then it just kind of trickles down from there yeah <laughs> it does yeah and that's such an interesting concept and stuff you know because um i guess like uh maybe it's just a little bit similar to let's say um asian culture and stuff as well now like you know obviously the man goes out do like the the work and stuff still but then when it comes to like teaching home like i grew up with my mom teaching me mm-hmm. like you know how to count and um how to read in english right like and now she doesn't even speak english so i don't know what she was teaching me <laughs> <laughs> 
um but yeah so you know, like she was like your homestead mom and she would pass down some of like the, the values and you know the teachings but when dad came home as well um we would have um night stories so we love bedtime story like they were the most creative people uh, especially my dad like if I tell you some of the stuff he told me and taught me you'll be like what the hell how the hell did he come up with that so (laughs) I just loved having that you know having that um the time with your your parents you know and they teach you these different things right but uh yeah no that's a really interesting concept when you were telling me about that because yeah I mean it should be a partnership because let's say if uh, you know, you have to decide on something important. It's better to have, you know, more brains than one brains. Hey, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, animals do it all the time, right? Like, I look at almost yeah. any major animal group, like say uh, wolves, for instance. There's always two of them that run mm. the whole group. It's never. I mean, yeah, there's everyone tries to just d- dial it down to just the one. The one makes the call. Of, of course, you know, one mm. of them's gonna turn the wheels and spool up the decision first. But it's never like I call the shots and this is how it goes and everyone just has to agree with it. There's always two of them that 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 steer the group in the direction that best suits all of them. So mm, so that I, is true. so I as far as Guam's culture is concerned, I haven't seen that in a, in other places other than maybe other Pacific Island groups. But oh yeah, I'm not I'm not too versed on them, so I can't really speak mm. uh, too in depth mm-hmm. about them. I, yeah. Um, one thing I love about traveling is um, experiencing like the many different cuisines. Mm. So tell me, what is your, the most significant um, or, you know, different dish that, you know, we should try if we ever visit Guam? So definitely if you're visiting Guam, I would say, uh, well, for once, so every Wednesday they have like these, um, well, before uh, the coronavirus came about, they would have these yeah. these little mini festivals every Wednesday, and that's when people can ju- and that's when they allow the t- the visitors to come see like all the different types of food that Guam has. Um, mm. I would say something that's really unique to Guam is this uh, dish. It's called a uh, kelaguin. Kelaguin. Mm-hmm. and and it's what it is. It's like different kinds of meats, usually uh, chicken, sometimes deer. Or almost almost never beef, but I I've seen them do beef, but hardly ever. It's usually chicken or, or fish. It's usually chicken or fish. Oh yeah. And so what it is, they they dice up the meat uh, pretty fine, and they have like a, a vegetables in there, like uh, green onions and and stuff like that. And then how it's cooked is they get uh, lemons. Uh, they get either the the lem- the juice from the lemons, or they get a powder version of the lemons. And then they stir it into the meat, and that's how it cooks. Like just the acid from the the lemons is what's cooking the meat, and then that's how they serve it. Wait, it's, wait. So is it like on? Do you cook it on a stove, or no? You just squeeze the lemon on. Just it? squeeze the lemons on, and let it. And, the, and then the acid from it will actually cook the meat, and that's how it's served. It's served just like that. Um, that's so interesting. Okay. So I mean, something maybe that's why I don't really see them do beef that much because beef, like it has like a little bit of a yeah. temperature, has like a temperature tolerance. So they'll that probably more risky, yeah. So they'll probably pre-cook a little bit, like okay, I'll just bring it up to like um, uh, twenty-seven to thirty degrees, and then mm-hmm. and then throw the throw the lemons on and then have it finish out that way. But that's pretty much mm-hmm. how it's cooked. Oh my god! Well, you know, definitely when I go to visit Guam, this is going to be on my list to try for De- sure. Definitely, I'm very adventurous when it comes to food. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I am to a point, but I'm I'm one of those where, 
just don't tell me what it is and then I, and if i like it i like it just like just it's like oh by the way it's this like oh why'd you tell me <laughs> now i'm thinking about it now i'm thinking about it <laughs> what is the weirdest thing that you've ever tried so the weirdest thing i've tried was um uh oh, what was it it's like this type of sea urchin okay yeah um but it but it was already peeled and everything so it's just like this this glob of of stuff um and they're like, here, try this. Like, all right, sure. And I, I, I like it. And then they're like, oh, by the way, it's sea urchin. Like, why did you tell me that? <laughs> why would you tell me that? Okay, or um, well, or um, California has a one where it's uh, made from cow tongue, like from the tongue of cows. Oh, I love cow tongue. I grew up with that, like barbecue cow tongue, like sliced really thinly. Like me and my friends love that. Right, but when it's cooked, it look, <laughs> when it's cooked, it looks normal, right? It looks just like ground beef, right? Yeah. But yeah. When, but when they say like, oh, it's cow tongue, like okay, cow tongue, right? And then they show it to me, like they show me like the un, like the, which tongue, yeah, yeah, the unprocessed tongue. I'm like, <laughs> why? Why would you do that? <laughs> well, right. Um. Yeah, I don't know if we ever meet and stuff. Like you know, I'll have the you know, kind of like introduce you to a few more interesting like dishes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm all for it. Just don't tell me what it is. Like, yeah, just don't tell me. Okay, I won't tell you. Um, right. So yeah, like you spent 15 years in the military. Like, oh, obviously, it's been you know a great experience for you. You've learned so much, and you know when it comes to like you know uh, mental conditioning, physical conditioning, and whatnot. So yeah, tell me a bit about your journey and what you've learned from those 15 years. So when I when I first thought about joining the the military, um, I mostly did it out of a challenge. Like I just feel like I wasn't being pushed enough. Um, mm. Or I wasn't being demanded enough, so I decided, like, you know what, I'm gonna join this. I'm gonna join the military, and then as soon as I said that, everybody in my family was like, join the Navy, join the Air Force, yeah. uh, join something that's easy. I'm like, that's that's not the point. That's not why I wanted to join. That's I, not the point. <laughs> I wanted to join because I wanted to be tried and tested and all that. So I made the yeah. decision to join the U.S. Marine Corps, which is. Mm-hmm. Which it was advertised that well, we are the toughest branch in the U.S. military that we have today, and they still are. They still they yeah. still very much are the toughest, most strict, and disciplined branch in the U.S. United States military. So that's what drew me. Like, all right, let's do it. And I went in there like thinking, like, okay, you know, I have enough mental toughness that I I, I rely on myself quite a bit. And then as soon as you get there, they just tear all that to shreds. They're like you are <laughs> just like they make you question your own identity. They're like, wow, like. <laughs> I was not prepared for any of this, but they do that on purpose to everybody. Yeah. It doesn't matter like how strong your convictions are with yourself. Mm-hmm. They will find this, whatever little crack in your character, they'll find it and they'll exploit it. And, Whoa. and the whole like, thing. So it's just like, is that like in movies? You know how like generals or commandos go up and like yell in your face? Oh, yes. Like, yes. Oh, really? oh, especially when you watch mili- uh, Marine, U.S. Marine movies where they're in your face, they're screaming at you, they're throwing stuff. That's stuff at you. Oh no! On. Well, no, they don't throw it at. Well, <laughs> some of the movies where they're hitting you or they're yeah. or uh, they're throwing stuff at you. That's a that's a little bit exaggerated. And those are like yeah, yeah. I'm not not saying they don't happen, but hmm. that's uh, a practice that's pretty frowned upon. But the stuff hmm. like about the screaming and the yelling, that's totally true, one hundred percent true. <laughs> and yeah. the whole idea of it is just to to have you understand like what you know of yourself isn't all that's true. You know, like whatever your perceived limits before you got here, we're going to tell you that there aren't 
you're, those are just self-imposed limits. Those, those are yeah. those are stuff that you put in your head from whatever whatever upbringing you had. And we're here to tell you that all that is is negligible, and your only limit is whatever you decide to act upon. And that is so true. You, you know, your old belief systems and things that you grow up with, behaviors that you think, you know, might be true or, it, you know, it can also be untrue too. You can unlearn them. Yeah. So that's a really good concept. And um, like, how was like the, the journey for you? Like, did you find that some of the things that you were put under, you know, through the mental training, mm-hmm. um, have, have you been able to incorporate that in your everyday life and stuff as well now? Oh, yes. And uh, a lot of it dealt with just the mental discipline of it all. Because mm. again, going back to like, your perceived limit is is mostly self-imposed so um i would if i feel like oh i cannot do something because reason x i would actually like look back to that kind of training however strenuous it was and just like well if i could have done if i did this in the past and what's to stop me from doing it now mm-hmm. and yeah. then and then you start like like looking at it from a, a a really um scrutinize a uh, point of uh, microscope like why can't i do it what's stop what's really stopping me from doing it is it just because of my my fear of com- comfortability or is it or is it, there really something stopping me from doing it <laughs> mm. that's a really good way to put it and i, I guess like um because like i like i was telling you this year has been a lot of a a kind of a healing a transformative kind of year for me where I've actually got to you know be still and really delve in deeply and reflect on like some of the limiting beliefs that um, were holding me back in certain parts of my life mm-hmm. um I've actually like you know uh you know tried therapists as well because I was just like you know I have all this time now so let's really dig into it you know and um I found out well what he discovered is that um I have a fear of rejection and abandonment and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I, I understand it. Like, you know, it's something that I grew up with, you know, because my parents were divorced. So um, I just never realized that it affected me that that badly. Like, I knew there was something, but then, yeah, once I did like the session with him, like, I was like, okay, it came a little clearer now. So, like, you know, when you say that with this training, you can actually incorporate and kind of analyze that yourself, which is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that I'll, I'll probably have to get a few more tips and, you know, um, I guess advice from you. Like, how do you do it yourself? Like, self kind of like analyze. Yeah. So, like, uh, how how I normally do things is kind of it's almost like the line of therapy. It's it's like you got to know yourself. You got to know what you're capable of, and a lot of that comes from what you've done previously, and that kind of builds mm-hmm. your confidence to do the next step. Um, and you also, okay, you, yeah. you can, it's it's also part of like knowing like, okay, what, what do I really have to do? It's besides like what you feel you have to do, because uh, a lot of times we stop ourselves because we feel that that's not something we can delve into when it actually is. And we just haven't taken the time to really see what's going on or what are the movements behind it. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Well, no, that's a, it's definitely good practice. I'll definitely have to uh, do a few, you know, um, sessions with you <laughs> to talk about my mental uh, skills. Oh, definitely, um, anytime. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, the thing that you were telling me is that, um, you know, throughout the military, you kind of like learn and um, evolve through your rankings. So you're actually on your third, one of the third highest rank right now, and you're in a management kind of position. Yes, 
So, so uh, I'm so there's different um, brackets or rank um, chains, I guess you would call it in the military. Yeah. There's the enlisted. There's the, then there's the officers. As far as far as I'm concerned, I am in the enlisted bracket, and I am I'm in the third highest of that enlisted bracket. And what that pretty much means is, is I am the third highest as far as management and specializing in a particular skill set. So, mm. so I'm, I'm the person who teaches you how to do your job. I'm the person who inspects you how to do your job. And then I teach you how to manage other people to do theirs. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Big responsibility. And um, you say that you will manage up to like 150 to 300 people at a time. Yes. That, that, that's, that was my job as a, as a maintenance chief. And mm. uh, I'll, I'll tell you, like being in charge of that many people, there's a lot of gravity to that. Um, mm. But there's also a lot of reward, especially when you're able to have them all be on the same mindset, be on the same uh, goal set, and then yeah. we all accomplish the same thing together. There's just just something so fulfilling about that that I've never really saw myself doing and yep. being I guess, good at I it. I guess it's like, um, like, you know, having the ability to influence, you know, such a, a large um, amount of people, you know, to meet one goal, That that is definitely something that you should – feel happy about is victory you know yes very much yeah, yeah we, we just talked about this <laughs> number six <laughs> number six it means victory yeah I, i'm not i'm not gonna lie i've never heard of that before but then again i wasn't too uh familiar with tarot other than mm. that it's another means of uh categorizing your character so yeah so i, pre I appreciate that that little snippet of knowledge i've never well you know what give you a little bit of ego boost you know yeah <laughs> yeah totally just make just help inflate my head even more <laughs> <laughs> flying away like a hot air balloon <laughs> yeah, no. i don't get such a big head now uh, <laughs> um but yeah like the interesting um i i remember when we were just uh, catching up um is that you said that it was quite difficult for you at first, you know, because you're quite an introvert, you know, to step into this kind of management um, position. So, like, my question is, like, how did you overcome that? I mean, I have, like, many introverted friends as well and met a lot of introverted people. So I do understand, like, you know, um, when you're introverted, it's a little, it's hard of – you prefer to have your alone time to recharge your energy. Um, as for myself, you know, extrovert, I need – to have stimulation, need around to be around people to right. gain energy. So yeah, like tell me how it was for you stepping into management. So uh, like you said, I'm introverted, but I'm weird. I'm like that weird introvert. Like I can, be, <laughs> I'm quiet, but I can be very loud. If that if that makes well, sense. You know when to be extroverted. I think that that's like uh, as you get more mature and you develop um, professional skills or whatnot. It it is very situational. Like I am an extrovert when it comes to like social settings and, you know, when I want to be, but um, I feel like lately I'm also need the balance of, I, I get in tune with like the introverted side also, like more, more intuitive side. Right. So, yeah. so like for me stepping into a management role, that was very scary for me because again, like you said, I'm introverted. I like to have my own, my own recharge time. I like to just worry about my own little bubble, um, <laughs> but how, how I overcame it for one, I was kind of like, it's either do it or, or fail. <laughs> and if there's one thing I've noticed about a lot of introverted people is they, they hate failure. 
they they just hate it. Like that's it's one thing that just drives their their whole character. Is like I'm it's okay for me to be to be outcasted for me to just kind of be in my own bubble. But I hate yeah. seeing failure. Um, so that was that that was kind of like the do it do it or fail kind of thing. But um, mm. another one for me is I uh, as when I step in I I I figure out like why I'm doing it, and um, a lot of it um, dealt with my like the sense of justice where mm. if I don't speak up, then someone else is gonna, is gonna suffer for it, you know, or this person has an issue, but he's just not able to articulate what he, what he has a problem with. So that's when I step in, like, this is the problem that these individuals are having. Here's what we need to do to fix it. And you can only really do that if you just speak up and the, and for introverted people, that's just one of those things that that's hard, but they also have that sense, like, you know, like I, they have a real contemplation of what's right and what's wrong. And uh, me, especially that I won't speak up unless I need to speak. If that yeah. makes, if that makes sense. Yeah. So having, having that, that sense of justice that can really drive it out there. Like I'm in charge of you all and I'm here to take care of you all. So whatever, yeah, yeah. So whatever issues you have, you know, I gotta put past my limitations, Mm. my my own mental blocks, (laughs) going recycling back, and then and then uh, and then make it happen for all of you because now you all depend on me. That's amazing, and you know what? Like we were just talking about this earlier as well. Like you know, it does come with like you know, uh, what kind of passion ignites you to do something you know what is your why basically, and that is how you can overcome fear, and um. Like I was just telling you, like um, for the last few years, you know, like my long-term goal was completely different to, let's say, what it is today. And I felt like a lot of my whys wasn't really strong enough. Like it was very influenced by, let's say, what my parents wanted me to do or be in or what society, what I thought society would accept me if I did something, you know, um, if I did uh, a particular profession or whatnot. I, right. I just wasn't so clear on my why. And um it does definitely does play a big part, you know, in kind of having that fulfillment as well, you know, in your job or that fulfillment in life. If you do something with when you know your why every single day or your purpose. Right. So, yeah, like, I don't know. It's been a journey for me this year. So in a way, like, uh, it really has given me a lot of, like, you know, time to think. And, um, yeah, like, I just feel a bit better um, by knowing that it's okay, let's say, if I don't want to pursue, like, HR for a little while, you know, kind of want to take a break from it. And, you know, speaking to my dad about it too, like, he was like, oh, okay, you know what, you know, you're as long as you're happy, do whatever makes you happy. I think that was kind of gave me a bit more relief. And I'm like, okay, it's okay if I want to be a bit selfish and, like, you know, do something different, you know, like work on my why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and sometimes, you know, it's okay for you to be a little selfish, right? Because mm. the the only person who's going to be 100% committed and concerned for you is you. Mm. <laughs> you're the you're that the only true. one who's going to care the most about you. Now, mm. we we can we can go into a whole another philosophical topic about this, but, <laughs> but we tend to do that kind of bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's like like you said, it's all about your why. Like, why are you doing this? What's your drive? Yeah. What's your purpose? And a lot of people, and uh, and I see this for a lot of people is they feel their why is the near and dear. Like, uh, mm. why do you want to go to college? Because I want money. And like, well, mm-hmm. well, why? Why do you want money? Be because I don't want to live my life paying bills. Okay, get that. But why? Like what else? What else? Like what's really driving you? And then mm-hmm. a, a lot of, and it, sometimes it comes down to like, I want, I want to do this. I want the degree. I want the money because it shows that I, 
I've su- I'm successful. I just yeah, want to be yeah. successful. Like there, that's the why. Mm. <laughs> there it is. That's true. You know? Yeah. So and it is true, and I think it. Um, I was talking about this to a friend the other day as well. It's about like you know having that sense of identity. Like if I do have this degree, like I can. That's my identity. I'm known as a HR personnel. So it's like you know a building on the identity, like who you are as well. Mm-hmm. So. But in a in a way, like it's kind of a little bit um, not a good way to see it as well. Because for a long time, I'm just like I, I got into these degrees. But you know, when you get out of, like in high school, you have to like instantly choose uh, what you need to do, or like you know, kind of adapt a identity or course to do, mm-hmm. so that you don't fall behind. Um, that was the pressure I was facing. You know, with my with like my parents and stuff because I just like you know you should know what you need to do or want to do and um yeah like now I'm just like okay I just did it for the sake of doing it <laughs> it right. wasn't strong enough yeah the purpose right so and then and you you'll see that a lot especially when someone like sets off for a goal and then they kind of mm. falter and then they just end up forgetting about it like mm. it's either because they lost interest or they it wasn't something that they really wanted to pursue it was just something they were just guided to think that they yeah, want it. So, exactly. so that's when you yeah. see like a lot of those uh, initiatives fail. And then, mm. and it's mainly because it wasn't part of their why we can yeah. go, we can go into a lot of that in itself in its own episode. <laughs> like why, yeah, no, yeah. why, why do why? <laughs> yeah. What the why episode guys? Yeah. <laughs> My questions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, time has definitely changed. Like uh, the course of like, let's say COVID this year. So what kind of, um, I guess questions have you have lingered in your mind? Like has COVID changed your mindset or anything? Yeah. So uh, with the with the restrictions that COVID had, you know, mm. you're not allowed, you're not able to do majority of what you're used to doing, like going out, going to see a park, going to a movie, eating at a restaurant, etc. I mean, you guess you can now, but it's not as free reign as it used to be. Yeah. So uh, as far as I am, it's a lot of my questions like why haven't I started something? Why haven't I decided to do a little bit more towards my why? Mm. <laughs> why haven't I wide yet? <laughs> that made them, that's why weird. not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Yep, yep. And, that, and that's a question that's been really simmering in my head for the longest. And one of my yep. biggest whys, and my hope my, my employer, please forgive me for saying this, but um, <laughs> it, it's one of those like, why am I not running myself? Like, why am I working for someone else's benefit? Why am I not working for myself or working for my why? And mm. and that was really just that, that that was like an epiphany moment for me. And I, that was one of those, like, I'm staring in the mirror, like, why haven't you? Why didn't you? Why shouldn't you? And I'm like, devil's advocating myself. Like, just, just dude, just do it. Like, just, just go. Exactly. Why not? Right. And that's the thing, like, um, you get imposter syndrome, you know, I, I, I've been having that too for months and it's like the same kind of thought process that you were having with Mm -hmm. yourself. I was like, why, you know, like, why am I worried about this? Like, you know, why haven't I done what I really wanted to do? You know, like I have so much to talk about and so much to share, like, why not? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it is so funny. Like, um, but yeah, so, you know, with your why, it has come to forming this amazing podcast. So tell us about this podcast that you've created. So uh, this the podcast I have, it's called the Cancel for Maintenance Podcast. And it's, it's a way to parody or make fun of the, <laughs> the life of aircraft maintenance 
And it's also to educate and celebrate it because a lot of people, they don't know what an aircraft maintainer does. They just see it as the guy who has a wrench in his hand. He bangs, that's a, he bangs that's it. exactly the image I had when you told me that. I was like the guy with the wrench. <laughs> yeah, he bangs, he bangs it around the airplane so many times and then boom, skis, it's fixed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And a lot of times they're on the road. They don't see their families that much. They work six, seven days a week for... Mm well past 10 hour days it's it's pretty strenuous like like uh there's an ongoing joke that is that a lot of tv shows make where it's talking about like these little green gremlins right the little yeah. green gremlins come around they either mess up the mess up the plane or they fix it and then it's it's just magic it just happens right so <laughs> so that's what that was about and again like we're just like the goal of the podcast is to just build awareness and help people know what it's like and then also just to kind of make fun of it because there it's so hard it's so strenuous it's one of those like the only you way to humor to it you know yeah like, you like humor is the spice of life you just gotta sometimes exactly. the only way to get through it is to just make fun of it and <laughs> exactly but, but it's just a beautiful way that you put it as well you know because when i you know i listened to your episodes i was like oh my god these guys are hilarious you know? <laughs> I appreciate and like like you said like i had no idea i had no I guess knowledge about you know the maintenance size or how much work actually goes into it and um I remember us talking you're just like basically in your management position and what really you know ignited you to do this is because like you know you feel like you're like a counselor most of the time for your workers yeah. so it's like a, a therapy session basically sometimes yeah so and uh, how how it started well besides the why and me uh, like yelling at myself in the mirror is um at work at at works so uh, my myself and my my co-host MVP we worked in the management side of the of the department and technicians or mechanics or specialists will come to us over their own management and just uh, just release their tension at us I'm like oh oh six MVP I just had such a bad day like oh okay start the timer tell me more <laughs> have a seat have a seat friend what's going on in your life and they you know and um they would li- they would let off their stress and we'll joke about it a little bit we'll we'll tell we'll we'll poke fun at some of their um some of their actions and then we'll leave, we'll give them something like this is what you should do this is what you this would help you uh, and then they feel a little bit happier about themselves at the very least they got a laugh out of it and then they go back to do their job and they're just well that's their medicine you know laughter there that, you go <laughs> that's just that that one percent difference that can really make all the difference you know. oh my god that's <laughs> lovely so. no like I, I know when things do get better and stuff like i definitely like would yeah like to have more exposure and learn more about that you know the side of um you know aircrafts and stuff yeah. but yeah so yeah I, the, the industry that you were telling me as well like you know um uh, being a leader you know you have certain qualities and certain things that you that makes you a, a good leader mm-hmm. but like say like you know if you know you're lacking in certain um qualities for example you said that you're with your emotional intelligence um it's maybe not as high as say for mine like, i feel like i'm very empathetic so i have mm-hmm. a high emotional intelligence it's easy for me to walk in a room and be like yep i totally get the vibe or you know if someone had a fight or you know something's going on i can really sense it but mm-hmm. the, um, the interesting about you was just like you tell them that you have a team you know to normally walk in with and when you direct or give news to like your your team mm-hmm. like 
it's easier for you to have someone there to kind of like read the room as well. Yes. Yeah, so like, um, it's one of those like, like play to your strengths, play to your, mm. str- you know what you're good at. So do that. And then for the parts that you're not good at, like your weaknesses, you compliment them. Right. Yeah. And uh, in my case, I compliment them by having someone uh, in my team or someone in the room presenting with me who's really good at that. And we just, we just key off each other's weaknesses. Like, Mm-hmm. I I'm better at presenting in front of people and giving you like the the go at the the motivation the reason to do it and he's the one mm-hmm. who who kind of translates that into into emotions like yeah like hypes the room up and stuff like that or tells me <laughs> or tells me if the room's falling asleep like yeah. he's the extrovert he's the extrovert <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's the em- empath right and that's really yeah. how you and that's really how you progress as a leader mm-hmm. and as an individual like you played you. You influence or focus on your strengths and then mm. complement your weaknesses. Like the areas that you're not so great at, like uh, say like you study more or you have a, a supportive team to really boost mm. you up and, and, and help you in developing yourself. And then you can do the same for them. Like what areas are you not great at? And then mm. we, we lift each other up. We, we just And it just becomes this rising tide that, that lifts all the boats up at once instead of one elevating up higher than the other one yeah that's definitely it and the thing is like you it's like you can't do it all on your own you know and the thing is like you know definitely when it comes to teamwork and building something better it's very collaborative so yeah that's definitely right mm-hmm. and um the interesting thing i remember is that you said that a lot of your leadership style is influenced with your cultural your ethnic um kind of uh qualities or i guess the teachings as well yes so um like i said with the guam culture it's very pair based and it's also very family based right mm. so when i see you my subordinate or my employee i see you as family so your your concerns are are part of my concern you know mm. maybe not on the personal level but say like if you're suffering a little bit and it's hindering your job that's when you can kind of what's going on do you let's let's take a pause because something's not right about you or something's going on that's affecting you like mm. how can how can i your manager or i your teammate help you and that's real and, and and i think that's the better approach of it is seeing everyone as kind of like some kind of uh link to you mm. instead of just being like i'm the i'm the master and you're the servant go mush do, yeah. do what i tell you or else and I see a lot of problems like that in most cases because a lot of yeah. people are cha- are more so chasing the title of being a manager yeah. than, than it is to actually lead people. And there's a huge difference. Yeah. Like, there like are man- the ego takes over and stuff like that, yeah. Right. There's yeah. managers and there's leaders. For those of you who think I'm wrong, I mean, fight fight me because... But it's true. But it's true, though. Yeah. There, there's managers and there's leaders. Managers are more task. Mm-hmm. They're very task oriented. They're very like, do this because we need this. Versus a leader, you know, they they try to have you see the mindset. They have you see the goal and make it feel like mm. this is your. You take your, you own this with me. It's. I mean. Yeah. And then we. They, they mentor and coach you to you know better your performance for right, sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so, the thing is like um. Yeah, like I, I do understand, you know, like, you know, when it comes to leadership, you need to build on a bond with your, you know, your workers to be able to build that trust so that they would, you know, um, let's say work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the thing is like well before moving to Vancouver I worked as an account manager um, and I was managing around 80 people on this you know um, plastic manufacturing site and stuff as well um, like being someone you know a lot younger um, the difficulty for me at first is like you know some of the older workers wouldn't see me as their manager so I think I really it was kind of like um a bit of a struggle at first to kind of build that bond but over time um when I built that trust with them you know it it felt a lot easier to kind of like uh be able to approach them and have let's say difficult conversations or like do catch-ups and stuff but yeah like was it like that for you at first like did you be able to build a bond of that trust with let's say um some of your workers yeah and it's it's matter of fact it's a similar problem as you because mm. when when i stepped into a management role i was like 23 right mm. and, and then i'm in charge of people who are like twice my age almost yeah. and whatnot and so they don't like say oh i don't like this young guy telling me what to do right yeah yeah but it but it, like then- but like it, the man will be like, oh, there's your manager's your manager's coming over, and like the the older guy will be like, that's not my manager, and I'll just laugh about it. I say, like, oh yeah, yeah, we're coworkers, you know, trying to like ease it off for him. But yeah, yeah over time they'll be like, oh yeah, 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 you know, uh, right. she knows her shit. So yeah, and you know, like help me get paid. So that's typical. Like I I I've been here longer. I know more than her. I know more than that person. Blah 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 blah. And and it, and to the point, you're right. But at the yeah. same time, you know, you got to understand. Like I'm in charge of you. And I tell mm. you, and I am. I tell you what to do. I'm not gonna abuse it and just be a total dick to you. But you not know, at, all. At, at the end of it, you gotta understand. Like, there's the line draw, and I think that goes into your presence too. Like, yeah. your like uh, how you come off. Like, if you're if you act like a typical 22, 23 year old, of course, no one's gonna mm. take you serious because they just see you as the fresh out of college, still in the party phase kind of person. Pretty much like their grandkid or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's like, is, like, is this person lost? Like, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> no, where's your mother? Did she right. just leave? But uh, I think that goes into your into how you present yourself too. Like, exactly. you know, you got to have like that confidence to make those hard decisions, to mm. be looking out for your people. You know, like if you dress the part, you'll start um, – what's the phrase like once you start looking the part you yourself will start feeling the part and then you'll start acting the part and then everyone will notice that and like okay this person's in charge this is the one i need to go to and then like you said it goes into that trust building where people will have confidence in your in your abilities Mm. when they see what you can do yeah And, and i feel like the most important thing is like if you if they come up to you with a problem and you follow up with them you know instantly or you know making sure that you do check in like even if you don't have the answer yet but you make sure that the communication bond is still there that really helps build that you know trust and that bond quicker yes and that's what i did like i was just like like because i was so new i was managing this like the whole site and stuff and um obviously trying to like um build connection and build trust with my workers um a lot of times i didn't know most of the answers and the, the fact that what they really appreciated was the fact that i always keep them updated right so uh, yeah over time it's just like okay easier so every time i come in but like, hey Nyung, hello Everyone's, i just love that feeling you know but they're like oh my god hello and then we'll just chat for like hours we're like i think you guys should go back to like working maybe <laughs> yeah yes yeah and uh yeah that that goes into like uh, keeping your people informed that's i think that's mm-hmm. one of like one of the commandments if you if i were to say it for someone who's in charge or a leader is that you got to keep your people informed you yeah. gotta you gotta employ them to the best of their abilities 
for mm-hmm. one and then train them to the parts that they're not so great at and then just look out for their welfare because once they notice that you're doing all those things i mean you can be the not so most knowledgeable uh manager leader but as mm-hmm. long as at least you're looking out for them and you're keeping them informed and you're at least chasing down solutions for them they'll yeah. start to trust you and they don't, they don't so when you say hey i need you to work this weekend or i need you to work 12 hours this today and we're like okay sure why not <laughs> yeah, it's just easier like okay that was easy <laughs> right and like um i did it because you're like you're a manager like a, a young agent so so but how did you deal with like not taking things on so personally or um have having like that healthy barrier because i know like with me being an empath and stuff as well when things mm-hmm. went wrong like you know i take full accountability even though it wasn't my fault and you know it, it's good to you know show you know that my boss that you know i, I am accountable or whatnot but sometimes i would really let it affect me right like, how did you like what is your advice i guess for say that young managers and stuff you know how do you separate that or kind of learn to differentiate you know the feelings emotions from work and not take it on so much right so like you, i felt the exact same way too because i would take failure very personally you know mm, like it was this, so hard for me yeah it's like this failed because of me i am the leader i'm the manager it's my mm. fault you know you really start to shoulder the burden right yeah. and you start taking you start uh, blaming yourself for things that are just well out of your control like this could have this is something you could never have affected this is something you could not have uh, swayed in any direction and i think that's just something you need to there's something any person in charge just needs to really understand is like there are certain things that are just out of your control and mm. the moment you realize that is you're going to have yourself a, a better balance or a better time mm. because you're not so focused on the stuff that you cannot control and start worrying about the stuff that you can control you know that is true. Um, like uh, uh i had this one uh supervisor that came to me he's he go he comes and says six uh, i really don't know what to do with these team of uh technicians they're just really not having it it's like they're they do stuff to mess with me or they or they 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 mess things up on purpose just to get with me and and so like i have to say to him like that that's beyond your control man like nobody wakes mm. up and just say i'm really want to mess up my boss <laughs> you know <laughs> you know like it's my yeah, sole purpose in life to just really mess him up you know no no yeah. person who's who's actually about being productive says that to themselves right exactly. unless their boss is being a complete a complete uh uh jerk you know yeah. then maybe but i mean you seem like a good person you seem like a, a very squared uh a squared level-headed individual so like don't take their don't take stuff like that personally know what you can control Mm -hmm. and 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 aim to that because once you start thinking about all the stuff that don't that that you cannot affect it's going to drive you nuts because it's like you're trying to you're trying to fit the ocean into a bucket and it's just never going to happen your your energy and your focus just get scattered because you're so worried about different things you know you're pulling different things pulling at you Right. It's like don't 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 worry about all the non-factors. Worry about the stuff that actually add uh value to the team and to your goal. Like and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's real easy to see like okay, cool. Like just don't do this. Easy. But sometimes you know it's like so disguised and you really got to like really think about it and or it's it's there in plain sight but you're just not seeing it because you're so wide wide angled focused on everything. And mm. that's how you're going to burn yourself out. It's just 
that is very true yeah and that's the thing like you know i think it comes over time with like experience um and skill you know like over time you kind of recognize okay it is true it's like anything in life as well you know like you can only control what you can control and sometimes you just have to surrender and let things flow the way it is like if you're constantly you know getting too worried or holding on to something so much you know like you're really restricting yourself from you know seeing uh the bigger results or you know or enjoying better results in a way Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, like some people, they get really focused on the result. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is my fault. I, I really have to do this because my boss will hate me and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. Because like, yes, the results is your, your responsibility. But you got to understand, like, there, there, there's certain gaps. There's certain transitions in the pro in the process chain that you just can't affect. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. just maybe you're you're you're, you're onto something. And it's something you need to bring up. Like we're having too big of a gap in these transition times or, or these handoffs. Mm. So maybe it's something we need to look together as on a higher scope and then really bring that in because it's affecting what I'm doing now. Mm. Stuff like that. Hey, chances for promotion. Look at that. (laughs) 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 No, no, that's definitely true. And like, um, yeah, another thing like, uh, we discussed as well is like having that, tough conversations like obviously starting you know uh, as a young manager you know going into this team with people you know with uh, years of experience like how is it for you what is your advice for young managers when it comes to having you know breaking out or talking about making hard, tougher decisions that won't make you seem like the cool manager anymore right so and, and, and you'll get that you'll fall into that pitfall very fast right because yeah. you're feeling it the, the the your subordinates or your team is really feeling you and so they so they start getting like this friend relationship with you like they see yeah. you more as a, as a friend than your boss or yeah. or their their boss so you you gotta be able to draw that distinct line like not saying be an asshole, but like uh, you gotta let them know, say, "Hey, like I- I'll have fun with you, but just know, like at the end of the day, I s- I'm still in charge of you." And mm-hmm. you also got uh, my advice is you gotta you gotta know where your limit is as far as interacting with the team. Keep them informed, but don't be like, "Okay, let's all go drinking on Fridays, yay!" <laughs> yeah, like keep your interaction deliberate. You know, yeah. like, be be deliberate with your interactions with them. Like if you're gonna see them, see them for a purpose. And usually that purpose has to be in line with what your goals are with the work, you know? Mm. So like, don't just like, don't just um, have a meaningless conversation with them just for, for laughs and giggles, you know, like make, Mm. make it, make it have a purpose, give it a reason because when they just see you as that person who just shows up to just have casual conversation, they're going to start thinking you as somebody who's just casually there instead of someone who's telling them what to do. Right, radio, yeah. So that's the thing. I think it's like, you know, the fine mix of it as well. Like I find like for me, I'm very conversational, re- re- uh, relational kind of like building kind of person. So yeah. I would like uh, incorporate more, you know, say personal things I remember from them. They say, oh, how was your weekend gone fishing and stuff like that, obviously. And like when it comes to, let's say, um, performance appraisals, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you'll have to break the news. Like this is what the – um the review has come up as you know for last month and um yeah I like for me like with that relationship building it you know being a bit more personal and stuff that it helped as well Mm -hmm. um maybe it's easier for a girl I don't know (laughs) (laughs) something different but yeah um but another thing is I want to know is how do you 
overcome the fear of rejection and not being liked by others. Because obviously, oh. you know, you, like you say, you want to be liked. Right. Be the cool boss, be the cool guy, you know, that walks around like, hey, what's up? How are you doing today, Jim? Yeah. <laughs> but then like, how do you overcome, like, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to, um, not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, a, that was another hard uh, lesson for me because once you start getting into the likes like you want to keep the popularity going because popularity mm-hmm. gets you somewhere so when you get the rejection like oh dang like you start taking that personal like wow like that really hurt I mean I don't really like you but that hurt <laughs> exactly. yeah. uh, so like how I manage the rejection of it is that like, you got to understand like you're there for a purpose right you're mm-hmm. not there for their feelings you're not there for their emotion their um their emotions you're there to to uh, help them drive towards a goal now Mm. there's there's a difference there's a whole spectrum of how you should go about that and Mm -hmm. what's the what's the right or wrong way to do it but it really but it really just got to know when to draw that line like i said earlier because Mm. once you start getting attached to the emotion of them liking you that's when you start like drifting into that i want to be your friend instead of yes i'm i'm gonna be your boss or i'm your leader etc yeah that is very true and i guess like yeah <laughs> you gotta really distinguish the two and whatnot and stuff as well mm-hmm. well um six you know what other strong advice ha- that has really really helped you during these tough times i mean like, a lot of people around the world they're dealing with um the whole situation very differently mm-hmm. um you know different countries have different you know restrictions and mm-hmm. rules so what is the one rule for life or i mean not rule for life or what advice for life or in general that we would like to give our listeners so so uh, on, on top of our philosophical journey i i would <laughs> i would I, w- I would say like just uh learn to make mistakes with confidence right you're going to mm-hmm. make mistakes it's going to happen one way or another what in either step 1 or step 100 it's going to happen but you just got to learn to make it with confidence because mm-hmm. when, once you're once once you start learning that you can at least trust yourself to a certain level and it works then it just builds and builds and builds or if it doesn't work then at least you know you were right up to that point and then you can readdress yourself and keep going cuz what happens is a lot of individuals will they'll hit that wall where nothing worked and their confidence drops to zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's so true. That does happen. Yeah. So, like, um, wait, wait. I say this a lot to individuals because they're so scared to make a decision. It's like sometimes, man, you just gotta learn. You just gotta make the mistake with confidence and take the leap of faith because mm-hmm. you never know. That leap of faith could just be like taking that step off the sidewalk or it can be taking the step off the cliff, but you'll never know because you are too scared to look. <laughs> oh, wow. That is true. And I, it's something that it does like, you know, um, like for me, myself as well, I've been dealing with that for a while. Like I'm just too scared of like failure, you know, growing up, I was just like, I always want to win, 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 be the best, be the best. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I forget like, you know, it's okay to make mistakes mm-hmm. or like, you know, if I don't make a mistake, how would I know that there's, uh, it might direct me to some a better opportunity or something mm-hmm. better, you know? Yep. Yeah. So, so no, that's brilliant. So I remember, um, see- so I remember seeing this motivational video, uh, it was at a graduation ceremony, and this really, mm. this really hit home for me. And it kind of articulated what I've been trying to say for the longest. And it goes, I, I don't, I don't mind if you aim high and miss, but I'll be mm. really upset if you aim low and hit. And I'm like, wow, 
wow mind ex- <laughs> mind explosion <laughs> literally <laughs> You know? I'm done for today. <laughs> that is so wow. That was yeah. This is all. I have no words. That's amazing. Thank you, though. <laughs> so well, there you have it. Um, six. Thank you uh, so much. You know, it's been a pleasure and amazing learning so much from you as well. Like you know, when we first reconnected and everything like that. Um, you just have so much wisdom and so much to teach. So. Um, I wish you all the best with your pod and hopefully I'll be on for a, an episode too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, most, so most definitely. Let us know when. We're all we're yeah. all available. If you also Love have some is. ideas for the show, let us know. And thank yeah, you yeah. thank you again for having me. It was such a great time. I love talking to you and going on this this philosophical, historical, <laughs> emotional journey. It was great. It was it's refreshing for me and it it re, it, uh, it uh it helps uh, bring things to center for me and I hope it did the same for you. 100% and you know what you, like you like you said you're working on your emotional intelligence you know hopefully this round <laughs> most definitely it's going up a couple of points I'll say that much <laughs> yeah yeah definitely we're here to help each other out hey well, there we thank go thank you so much okay and I uh, yep um there you have it listeners if you liked what you've heard today and would love advice and stories like this then please subscribe <laughs> please subscribe listen <laughs> we love you all we love you 3000 <laughs> Six, bye. Bye.